Hi, my name is Mark Aldrich. I'm a co-host on the web series The Happy Hour Guys. Together with Gunhill Brewing out of the Bronx, we've created the Curtain Up Beer Project, an open-source hazy IPA that raises money for arts and entertainment workers unemployed by the pandemic for over a year. Go to curtainupbeer.com to find out more. We're asking breweries everywhere to help us give a hand to people in need. I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. We're going to Colorado this week to talk with Ryan Wibby about his family-named brewery, the lagers and shandies they make, and to see if a bold claim he makes holds water. But first, a reminder to check out BeerEdge.com for articles, our merch shop, episodes of the Beer Edge podcast, and more. Plus, follow Beer Edge on social media at the Beer Edge and catch up with all things smoked beer on the This Week in Rauk Beer page on Facebook. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at TWRaukBeer. And you can also learn about advertising and supporting this show and the work that we're doing by reaching out to Liz Melby on email. She's always available at Liz at BeerEdge.com. And speaking of that, this episode is brought to you through support from NZ Hops. In a little country far down in the Pacific, you'll find a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. This is NZ Hops. The industry originated in 1843, not long after the early settlers arrived from England. Years of partnership with a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations sees the current-day master growers proudly providing 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd. This episode is also sponsored by Athletic Brewing. At Athletic Brewing Company, their innovative process allows them to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. From IPAs to stouts to gold nails and more, they offer a full selection of beers starting at only 50 calories. Now you can keep your head clear and enjoy the refreshing taste of beer anytime, anywhere. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. And while many beer clubs are great for gifting beer, the Rare Beer Club is especially suited for beer enthusiasts and brewers looking for access to rare and often exclusive craft beers. They've stood the test of time since 1994, in large part due to their commitment to quality. Once curated by the beer hunter himself, Michael Jackson, the club prides itself in living up to Michael's reputation. I can vouch for them here. I've sampled me some pretty cool stuff over the years, including an Oak Age Saison from Jolly Pumpkin created exclusively for club members. Their personalized shipment program allows you to customize each shipment and skip beers you don't want to get. Get 50% off your first shipment when you sign up for an open-ended ongoing membership at BeerMonthClub.com and use promo code DRINKRAREBEER. There's a two-shipment minimum. Let's get right into it. Ryan Wibby has a passion for traditional lagers, but also likes to play around in the space. Since launching Wibby Brewing Company, he's racked up medals, awards, and some top-notch reviews. His Vienna Lager, for example, scored 100 points in a recent wine enthusiast magazine, Blind Tasting. Like so many small breweries, he has worries, but excitement about the future. And he's always trying to find new ways to reach new customers. From lagers with cacao nibs to making shandies and seltzers, it's clear he's a brewer who's enjoying his days and grateful for the customers downing the pints. 
He spoke to me from Colorado, and I wanted to get his take on where things stand in the state right now, especially with the two beer worlds it straddles. Here's our conversation. You're largely focused on lagers, and when I think of Colorado, I have my brain splits in two ways because Coors Light and Coors Banquet and Coors Original and all of that, you know, I, I think of lagers and pilsners because of them and the way that they sort of introduced that brand to the world from the Rocky Mountains. And it's great advertising, but it's also you know, a fun beer to drink. But mm. then I also think of Colorado in the terms of the modern craft beer age where there's a lot of hop forward ales and a lot of experimentation and a lot of, you know, just wacky shit being done. And so I, I'm often interested in hearing from a brewer in a state like yours that has such history, but also such variedness. How do you see the state right now in 2021 beer wise? Uh, I would say the state of Colorado, it's uh, very highly competitive. Um, there are just so many great breweries in, in the area that are, uh, like you said, very innovative and uh, create such great flavors and a wide variety of beer. Um, it just it makes us kind of have to stay on our toes all the time and create something new and special, but that's also drinkable. Um, that also kind of help play into us focusing on uh, only lagers uh, just because the fact that we only make lagers uh, and when you know our sales rep goes out to a, a liquor store or a bar um, that makes us stand out immediately from you know 95% of all the breweries in the state because they're mainly IPA pale ale focused um, so it allows us to stand out from them so it gives us that point of differentiation but uh, at the same time it it's the kind of beer I like to make um, and drink and it's kind of the you know kind of tying in with the the cores and the cores light it's the you know loggers are tend to be you know a little bit more training wheels beer where you, know, you can get a, get a light drinkable beer um that you can have a couple of um without you know falling over type of thing uh that's kind of what we're, we're playing for just to kind of stay different from everybody else but also at the same time make something that's you know world class do you find that it brings diversity in your clientele to your door you know because i mean hops are still polarizing and you know i've, I've said this data a hundred times before but you know craft is like 13 percent of the overall marketplace so 87 percent is drinking you know, Coors light and Coors banquet and you know the other you know big ones and budweiser's made in colorado as well um are, are you finding that you can appeal to non-craft drinkers or does your price point kind of put you out of that um actually i think it's a it's a really great mix uh it it does bring in a lot of people that i wouldn't say necessarily would fit into the typical demographic of a craft beer drinker you know uh with beards and looking for the hoppy stuff uh they're more people who are we're trying to convert uh from coors light uh coors uh, banquet uh, to our Light Shine Hellas or our home team Pilsner um, as something that's easy, drinkable, um, and quite approachable at the same time. Uh, and I think on the other end of the spectrum, there are very educated um, <clears throat> craft beer drinkers in the state of Colorado because we've been doing it here for so long that uh, most of the people that have been in the industry or been drinking craft beer uh, 
uh, know how hard it is to make a lager and make it well and consistent. And so they uh, they appreciate the the skill and the you know the the technicality that are involved with all the beers that we're creating here. So I think it brings in from both uh, both realms. Uh, kind of it's also our geological location. Uh, we are right on the border of Boulder County, which is you know obviously Boulder is a very uh, liberal city with the university, um, and just miles away where uh, is Weld County, which is you know, a lot of oil and fracking and uh, different type of uh, just demographics over there that uh, are more the, you know, entry level people uh, drinking beer. And so we see a huge um, uh, just both sides of the spectrum coming into the tap room or buying our beer out in uh, in liquor stores and bars, which is great because I, I kind of like seeing how craft lager can pull from both sides. You know, the as you said before. You know, most beer drinkers are lager drinkers, mm-hmm. um, so we can kind of pull from that, that side and get them to convert to craft beer. But then also the, you know, the educated uh, craft beer drinker understanding, you know, the technical uh, quality of our products is a, a big drawing point for people to come and try our products out. So what drew you to making lagers and to sort of focus the business Around the, around the style. I, I from my when I first started at Iron Hill Brewery and Restaurant um, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which has a pretty strong uh, German brewing heritage, right uh, by Stouts Brewing. There, mm-hmm. uh, we first made you know it was like the first time I ever made a Maybach, um, and it just kind of blew my mind that there was something so you know clean and drinkable, um, but had tons of flavor and like the. The varieties of lagers that you could bring, you could brew was um, just so wide and vast and diverse. Mm-hmm. It, it just really intrigued me. Um, <clears throat> fast forward a couple of years when I went to uh, the VLB in Berlin where I got my certified brewmaster certificate. Um, this is like the big lights, the light bulb uh, moment for me was uh, Matt Brindelson of uh, Firestone Walker came in and do a, a hot profile um, with you know American beers that he brought in and American hops to kind of just you know educate us mm-hmm. and um, and he's a big hero of mine. He's super smart. I still get really awestruck when I see him at like CBC or GABF and oh sure I'll, I'll I'll walk by him and say your inspiration and then run away like a little you know teenage girl <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> and I think um, I think he's used to that. <laughs> I bet he I bet he is. And um, and then they gave us. Uh, the challenge to uh, brew a ger- a traditional German style beer with American hops. Um, and so we were in this group um, with I think 10 brewers and we had to come up, our, our category was Bach beer and we made it with American hops. And uh, that's kind of the birth child of our IPL. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made a, you know, a strong red malty Bach beer with uh, I think it had Citra, uh, man, uh, Mosaic, uh, Simcoe, Centennial, Cascade, cr- all crystal hops in there. And so this beer, it still had that malt, German malt backbone of a Bach beer. But ma- as soon as you opened up the bottle or uh, smelled you know, the beer in your glass, you could tell it was made by Americans with American hops because it had this huge hoppy citrus flavor to it. The bitterness was well in check, 
um, and allowing some of that, you know, Bach malt to come through. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of created this whole new realm for me where the, you could take the tradition of, you know, German beer that's been, they've been working on for, you know, several centuries and then put the new spin on it with, you know, American hops, American ingenuity, which uh, really just kind of made me realize that there was a, a huge world of beer that wasn't being explored. And uh, I kind of wanted to, to seek that out. So I, I find that interesting of honoring tradition in some ways, but then also kind of messing around with modern ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's obviously purists out there who say, you know, you can't mess with tradition. And, you know, the whole U.S. brewing industry has sort of laughed at them, uh, you know, <laughs> fo- fo- folks who say that. Um, what have you found of the benefits, though, of, you know, mixing tried and true methods, tried and true recipes with with the modern with the modern hops, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, um, I just, I personally, it allows me as a brewer to be, to kind of put my own stamp in each style mm-hmm. um, where I know if I were to be, uh, <clears throat> if I were to be um, trying to make a traditional Pilsner or tra- traditional Hellas, uh, as much as I could try um to make the most perfect beer, it would be very difficult for me to match anything that could be made in, in Germany or Austria, mm-hmm. uh, just because they've been doing it for, you know, centuries and centuries and have so much experience with, you know, their product and their science and everything like that. that I felt like it was uh, necessary for me to put my own stamp on each style uh, with those creative ingredients to uh, really kind of make the product our own. Um so every time, you know, like with our, our Moondor Dunkel, um, you know, I, I created a, a recipe for, you know, our a, a dark lager that was pretty standard for a Dunkel side. And um, to just really turn up the notch, I, we added, started adding cacao nibs in the boil, which created this different bitterness from the chocolate, which accentuated the chocolate fa- uh, flavors from the malt or from the chocolate malt. Yeah. Uh, and just it really made it. I would say stand out from the, the traditional dunkles that I, I've drank in the past, but um, at the same time made me feel like I was creating something new and trying to push that style to a new, a, a new level. And all right. So pushing styles to a new level, because that to me, I feel like the old guy again, and I'm really trying hard <laughs> not to uh, these days, but styles have become so blurred that when mm-hmm. we're talking about a dunkle with cacao nibs, like is it even really a dunkle anymore, you know, or is it something entirely new? And how, how much do styles matter to you in your brew house? Uh, it depends. I think it depends on what style we're looking at for that day. Um, or for that brew, uh, I feel like if even if we are, you know, trying to make a dunkle, but putting a, a, a different flavor onto it or um, and trying to push that boundary, we still want somebody who, you know, is well versed with German beer styles to be able to take a sip of that beer and be like, OK, that that's definitely a dunkle still, but it has this extra flavor to it. So it still has that, you know, strong base within tradition. It's made with good ingredients. It's 
brewed technically sound, um, but at the same time, we're you know adding another dimension of flavor to it, so it can maybe open people's eyes to a you know bloggers aren't just you know yellow fizzy water they can be something that has you know layers of dimension to it um compared to what they've seen in the past so i i like to say that we're not you know trying to you know do every you know throw the, everything into the kitchen sink at every beer but uh keep that you know tradition within the beer um without kind of bastardizing at the same time more with ryan in a moment but first, a word of thanks to this episode's sponsors, and I hope you'll give them a closer look. At Athletic Brewing Company, their innovative process allows them to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. We're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ Hops are like no others, unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. And the Rare Beer Club is especially suited for beer enthusiasts and brewers looking for access to rare and often exclusive craft beers. Get 50% off your first shipment when you sign up for an open-ended ongoing membership at beermonthclub.com and use promo code DRINKRAREBEER. And now, back to my conversation with Ryan Wibby of Wibby Brewing Company. COVID's still the big story, and we've seen a lot of changes from a lot of small breweries. And one of the things that I was sort of interesting, or that I found interesting about what you did was you switched to a brew pub model. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the course of the last year. Um, would, was that ever something that you would have entertained before the pandemic? <laughs> uh, actually, in our planning process, uh, the first idea that uh, me and my business partner had was to do um, uh, beer and pizza. And so okay. uh, on my birthday, I flew out to Chicago to meet with him and uh, bring some some of the home brews of the, the pilot batches that I had made. And I learned how to make dough. So I was going to make pizza. And we're going to have like pizza and beer that we made all together and pair them well. Um, as we were going through the tasting and making the pizzas, uh, I remember turning to Ted, my business partner, and being like, there is no way in hell that we're doing a brew pub. I cannot make pizza. I'm not a kitchen person. I know <laughs> how to make beer. And this is not, this is not my thing. Um, <clears throat> kind of fast forward to where we're at now. Um, one thing that we've just noticed in the past is that uh, there's a lot of big groups that come into, you know, the tap room, um, and there's always that, you know, one or two people who are celiacs, so they can't drink anything gluten or um, are, are wine drinkers only, and so they either the group won't stop in because there's somebody in the group that doesn't uh, drink beer, um, and we're kind of losing out on that business. And, yeah. So moving to that group, it it was significant enough that you could notice the business that you were, that you were losing. We were were seeing people bringing cider uh, bottles and cans of cider on their own, sneaking bottles of wine in that we'd had to take away. It was like really becoming (laughs) a pretty decent way to build up a home wine cellar though. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Um, And, and so we just, uh, you know, talked it over with our advisory board and um, got the signatures required, um, which is it's it's turned out really well for us. It's allowed us to, you know, 
We have now uh, uh, light, uh, light Shine Hellas Margarita slushy that we provide, a, a gluten-free slushy that we also have, um, wine and cider, and I wouldn't say they're huge sellers for us, but they just allow for bigger groups to come in, whole families to be you know, enjoying the entire taproom space and beer garden that we have right now. So not huge sellers, but also not lost revenue. Correct. Yeah. Colorado has a weird thing with beer slushies or slushies in general. Um, and I, again, I sort of think of the state as, you know, progressive thinking and progressive moving and uh, beer wise. And I guess this is just part of it, right? Of just g- giving the people what they want. Yes. And that's, uh, I think, something that we learned really early on where, um, you know, we had a couple seasonals that, you know, one was like a, our double dunkle, which is a strong dark lager with chocolate and vanilla. We thought we'd only have it October through March. As soon as the first year that we that we ran out of it, I, I got inundated with emails from people who were, you know, wanting to drink a seven and a half percent strong dark chocolate lager, uh, you know, a 95 degree day. Um, at the same, on the flip end, we had a, our light shine Rattler, which is our number two seller. Um, and people are calling us up in the middle of January asking where their Rattlers are. And so we had to turn that around into a year round product. So it's, uh, yeah, it's something that, you know, I, I kind of had to get over my own thinking about it and my kind of, you know, get my ego out of the way and thinking what's right and what's wrong. Um, just because some, you know, People want to drink what they want to drink when they want to drink it. Rattlers, shandies in general, I find so interesting. Um, well, I guess let, let's sort of back up a little bit and talk about how you create a rattler, how you put one mm-hmm. together. Uh, yeah, so we uh, – we, so we mix our Rattlers. Uh, we have five different flavors. We have raspberry, mango, grapefruit, strawberry, and pineapple. Um, and we, what we do is we just brew our normal Hellas. Um, and after it's, you know, when it's ready to produce or drink after lagering and fermentation, um, <clears throat> we create a, uh, a, a lemonade basically in our brew house, which is sugar and water, um, uh, natural lemonade concentrate with a natural flavoring. And then we push that into our bright tank uh, and then mix the beer, uh, add beer on top of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It creates this nice, uh, refreshing, slightly tart, slightly sweet, um, drinkable beer. Um, The one thing that we've done differently with ours is it's, uh, it's a stronger, so it's a, it's, not as diluted out by the lemonade as a lot of the traditional Rattlers that you'll see in Europe, uh, whereas ours are like four and a half percent. So there's still, you know, some meaning behind drinking one, but it's still very tart, refreshing and, and very drinkable at the same time. When I think of lagers, though, I'll, I'll think about session drinking and mm-hmm. you know, sitting down and having a couple of pints. Um, Rattlers, I, I don't feel like I can do in the same way. Uh, <laughs> but are there people who do? Oh yes, yes, it's uh, yes, it's. I feel the same way about it, where they, it becomes a little, um, a, a little too sweet and cloying after a while. But there are people 
who will sit on our patio and and drink four or five of, uh, of Rattlers on a nice hot sunny day. Um, I think it's part of their flavor that they prefer, um, but it's also uh, I just think sometimes part of the weather when it's super hot. And, yeah, uh, <clears throat> it's something that's you know very refreshing at the same time. So. I, I know seltzers sort of have fit into that uh, in the last couple yes. of years of, you know, hot refreshing or refreshing on a hot day, that kind of thing. Um, and I know you're making uh, seltzer. Where where does the Rattler fit in you know, beer drinking wise from, from what you can observe, you know, in the tap room or, you know, outside or to go sales or, or wherever when it comes to you know, lagers uh, to rattlers and then to seltzer where, where does that typically like where do rattlers live i feel like uh they're living in the kind of um you know hazy ipa uh, fruited fruited hazy ipa or fruited kettle sour uh realm mm-hmm. um just because they are light refreshing and drinkable and have this fruit flavor that you don't get from any of our other beers okay um so they kind of live in that area I think for the drinkers that, uh, that enjoy them. I also think it's another, um, a train kind of a training wheels beer where, uh, people who don't necessarily drink beer, uh, will drink one of those and actually like it. I know when, you know, as a, I've been brewing professionally since 2007 and I was always proud of the work I was doing at whatever brewery is at. And I bring beers home. And I give, you know, a taste to my mom and my dad. My mom would always just like take a sip and be like, oh, yeah, that's really good. And then like <laughs> pass it off. And then uh, when we started making Rattlers at the brewery here, she that's all she would drink. She does also drink it on ice, but um, she loves, you know, all the different flavors that, that we're, we're able to produce because it's um, not necessarily beer flavored beer. Yeah. Uh, but it has this nice, fruity, effervescent flavor to it. I like that. That's a, yeah, that's cool. What is, what's keeping you awake at night these days? Oh, I'm probably still working. That's why I'm awake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, now. I know that feeling. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, right now it's just keeping up with, um, just the, the changing dynamics of our industry where um, whether it's coming from the, the can shortage or uh, new regulations and restrictions for on-premise consumption, um, those are those keeping up with all those changes has been really difficult over the past year and a half. And so like right now I, on the, the can shortage side, I kind of, I, I went the other way and just started buying as many cans as I possibly could which is filling up our entire building with them, which is good to have the cans, but it's also a pain to, you know, not be able to walk around because there's just so much stuff in the way. Can, can, um, can, can I just back up just a little bit on the yep. can thing? Because I've been hearing a lot about the can shortage. I've done some reporting on the can shortage. Um, it, it's, it's different for every brewery. And I think, you know, the larger breweries don't really have to worry because, you know, the, the can manufacturers, you know, have longstanding relationships with them. They have deep pockets, et cetera, et cetera. Um, ha- 
And then, you know, I've also just heard people saying like, well, I'm just buying up cans, you know, because I'm hearing about a can shortage. And it reminds me of like the early days of the pandemic with like toilet paper and things like that. <laughs> um, h- how real for you is this can shortage? Um, it's pretty real. Uh, we this year we were going to go uh, take you know, six or seven brands into printed cans, which would save us a lot of money. Um, we had the storage all lined up for them. And then when I started trying to make these new brand uh, purchases, they were telling me I wasn't going to receive them until, you know, January of 2022, Um, which is not really, not really doable for us. Yeah. Uh, So what we did, we first just bought as many blank cans as we can get. um, And we were doing a, we bought a very entry level hand labeler where we're labeling one can at a time, um, which took, you know, it'd take like an, a full day's work to label a hundred cases. So it was just a little painstaking on that side. Um, finally, we just uh, received an, uh, we received the inline labeler. So as we're canning, we're labeling the cans too, which has helped out tremendously um, and allows us to keep up with production, uh, make sure we get the product out to our distributor uh, in time with a, a nice, beautiful label on it. Um, so it's been, it's been a struggle just trying to, figure out you know what's going to happen when um and make sure that we have the can so we don't run out of each product um on the other hand it's been really kind of fun on my end um because at right at the beginning of the pandemic we we lost our um designer and we still had a bunch of uh, design needs and so i kind of just did a, a youtube uh course on adobe illustrator and then started making my own can labels. So, uh, like for example, the Vienna that got the hundred, I, I made that can label for it, and I, we just put it on the side of a, a, a truck. And it's really cool to kind of see my artwork come out. And now that I have a little bit, you know, notches under my belt on that side, I've been getting to be a little bit more creative, um, just kind of push our brand a little bit further as I design more and more can labels for us. When you think about the brands that you wanted to bring into cans um, mm-hmm. and, and get out to the marketplace. You're obviously going to have to make some tough decisions about some things that are going to have to wait a little while. It, mm-hmm. Does existing sales dictate what's get, what gets out to the market? Because it, it, it seems like it's such a, a tough problem to have because if you do put something new out into the market, it could become gangbusters and yep. you know replace something that is already doing modestly well or you know mediocrely well or or or, or whatever um how, how are you making the decisions as to what gets greenlit when not everything can based on the can inventory that you have coming in yeah it's uh we've been kind of just testing the waters a little bit um where we, we have a really kind of unique situation um, where we we sell the majority of our wholesale products through Elite Brands, which is takes every you know their territory is everything south of where our brewery is, and we still self distribute in our um, own Northern Colorado area. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been able to, you know, we have these kind of small batches of beer that will can we'll do a short canning run and send them out for self distro or sell them through cans in the um, in the tap room and just kind of testing the waters that way with small. Um, products uh, has been kind of fun because we got to be a little bit creative with our beers, but also uh, see how the different type of styles and how well they sell um, in these different locations. So it's 
it's kind of hit and miss. I've, um, yeah. for example, with the, with the Vienna, uh, people asked me to can that for a really long time. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I know, you know, uh, Wellworks won a, a gold medal with their Vienna. Uh, I think one of the first two years that they were open and they, they tried to go really big with it and it just fell kind of flat on the shelf. And so they had to discontinue it. So I was just really scared <laughs> of sending a, you know, investing pretty heavily in a brand of beer that I, you know, I like drinking, but not necessarily, uh, think it's going to sell very well that far away from the brewery. Yeah. So it's kind of, uh, guess and check, uh, for the most part, but, uh, we use a lot of, uh, tap room sales and reviews, uh, on untapped, uh, as just kind of a, a good way to gauge the interest for each product. Um, oh man, there are brewers who are listening to this right now, cringing, hearing that, uh, <laughs> you know, you're basing business decisions off of untapped reviews. Every, every once in a while, I, a lot of them are pretty funny, <laughs> which I like. Um, but is, not, is I, there, I, is there a recent one that stands out in your mind that just made you want to throw the laptop out the window? Uh, I, I don't think it was an untapped review. It was a, a one star, uh, Google review that we got. Um, this guy, he wrote, this would be a five-star review if I was judging everything on the Hellas. But you put your Rattler in our mix pack, and that is the worst beer that I've ever had. <laughs> I wish this beer would go away with just like the year 2020 did. And I was just like, man, that's like, you know, that's what's paying our bills that's right a, now. That's a guy so. having a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So. Uh, that's... <laughs> Well, I asked you what kept you up at night, but I'm I, the flip side of that coin is what are you hopeful for? What, you know, there's, I don't know if there, there are brighter days. I mean, we're seeing another spike in the, in the coronavirus uh, around the country right now as we're recording this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, even though vaccines are rolling out and more and more people will be becoming eligible and hopefully getting the shots in the arm, um, you know, some of those brighter days that we might've felt a month ago seem a little dimmer today at least from where i'm sitting but what are you excited about what um yeah oh, that's a pretty easy one for me uh we have uh i think the best beer garden in the country um so our, build, oh, our building, look at that you're just you're just yeah. throwing down the gauntlet huh <laughs> yeah, the it's, best uh, it's beer garden in the country now i haven't visited I, your brewery so i can't weigh in on this but okay. when I I am a natural skeptic. Uh, okay. When any when anytime somebody says we have the best anything, my natural inclination is to be bullshit. Prove it. That's that's my <laughs> default statement when when somebody so prove it. Awesome. Well, um, I mean, how many <laughs> beer gardens have you been to that have a pool in them? We have three pools. So um, like that, people can we, get in and swim around in. Oh yeah, that's so. Um, See, that's points off immediately for me. Like, I don't, I don't want to be swimming with other people. <laughs> like, I don't like well, other people uh, to begin with. Like, it's bad <laughs> enough. Like these days, when I, you know, when I have to like stand six feet away from people. Uh, <laughs> okay, but you have three pools. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so one of our marquee events uh, that we used to host was a uh, Hoop Loggers, is a logger only uh, beer festival with, uh, which was also a pool party. Mm -hmm. Um. With COVID, we kind of pivoted because uh, we couldn't host that beer festival. And so uh, we still wanted to use the pools. And so we would bring the pools out um, and you can ho uh, have private pool parties. So you can rent out the pool for a couple of hours. 
um, float on floaties, drink beer, drink, you know, cider, seltzers, slushies, um, and kind of just enjoy the sun um, out in our big, expansive uh, beer garden. Uh, I thought it was really cool, not only just because, you know, people were able to still have, you know, family get-togethers outside of their home. Uh, of course, they were limited to the number of people, but we kept them secluded. It still kept that nice uh fun summer vibe that we we try to focus on here yeah uh, and it just made us stand out a lot from a lot of the other you know great tap rooms in the area um we also have uh this huge uh, it's a six thousand square foot covered open air pavilion okay. um, in our parking lot um our bill our the our building uh, used to be truck maintenance for a butterball turkey plant um, and so this covered pavilion is where they used to park the turkeys before they went in for slaughter, um, which is, I feel like we've done a really great job changing it to something that's much better than that. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's now our kind of con- open air concert hall. Okay. Um, so during the shutdown, we, uh, we hired some, uh, painters. Uh, so they painted it to, uh, you know, make it the underside look like uh, a nice, you know, partly cloudy sky. Um, we have a nice stage and light set up now. Um, and we just hosted our first concert this past weekend. Um, best part about it is the spacing, uh, just because we have like 40,000 square feet of outdoor space that we can be on, is, is I haven't seen it, at least in the area, um, as well done as well as we do here. Uh, it's still, you feel safe because you are, you know, 10 to 14 feet from any other group. Uh, but you still feel like you're, you know, at a, you know, a great lively outdoor atmosphere because there are so many people having a great time. Um, and so I think it's kind of helped us bridge that gap where, you know, people are feeling isolated and lonely because they aren't able to gather in bars and restaurants anymore. Um, but here we're able to keep everyone safe um, and still allow for, you know, people to have a good time outside of their home. All right. I'm going to have to come check it out for myself just yeah. to, you know, I'm not bringing my swim trunks. I'm not getting into the pool. That <laughs> uh, just, you know, that, that, that kind of creeps me out, but you know, it's probably fun for people watching. Um, it, it, it is. Uh, when we can start to move around the country again, uh, when we can start to move around the world again, is there a brewery that is not yours that you are not affiliated with that you're looking forward to checking out and settling up to the bar? Um, I would say, you know, a place I actually haven't been to, uh, ever as like the central California coast, the big Sur area. I've always wanted to do a camping trip there and, obviously visit Firestone Walker. And, um, all just so you can make Matt Brindleson feel uncomfortable where he works <laughs> as opposed to just yeah. the Colorado convention center. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> that, I definitely want to go check the, uh, check out Big Sur and uh, uh, Firestone Walker. And yeah. then I definitely want to get back to, to Europe soon here. Sure. Um, just to, you know, go to Oktoberfest again and, um, we had a we had a big trip planned right before everything hit uh, to go to to Belgium just to do some Belgium tours. I think everyone uh, that's a, a, a brewer should experience the creativity and diversity that Belgium has to offer with their beers. Yeah. Well, I hope you get to do it. I hope we all get to 
get to the places that we want and uh, we're getting closer yeah we are we are i got uh plane tickets for the uh, scale down craft brewers conference uh, in denver later on this year so hopefully uh hopefully i can get up your way and we can hoist a hoist a pint or two but um, ryan thanks for for taking the time and for being on the show today i really appreciate it awesome thank you very much I'm still not sure about the pool thing, but after a few beers, anything is possible. What about you? Are you ready to take a dip? You can tell me about it. Email me at John Hall, it's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com, or you can join the conversation on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And if you encounter smoked beers in the wild, join the This Week in Rauk Beer conversation by getting into the group on Facebook or following T.W. Rauk Beer on Instagram and Twitter. And if you check out BeerEdge.com, you can see the official tasting glass of the group. Just look for our merch page. BeerEdge is on social media as well, at The Beer Edge, and we're online at BeerEdge.com, where you can find episodes of this show, the podcast hosted by Andy Crouch, articles, and you can sign up for our newsletter and more. And if you want to learn about advertising on this show, please reach out to Liz Melby. She's at Liz at BeerEdge.com, and she'll tell you all about our surprisingly affordable rates. And speaking of advertising, I'm grateful to this episode's sponsors. Unlike any other beer club, the Rare Beer Club often works with breweries like the Lost Abbey, the Brewery, and American Solera to create craft beers made exclusively for members. They also bring in hard-to-find, exclusively imported selections such as Fantome's Magic Ghost, West Vleven 12, and H.R. Fredrickson Vassal Brunch, an Amager mckellar collaboration, which is a 10.7% ABV Imperial Oatmeal Stout aged in bourbon whiskey barrels with Vietnamese coffee. Wow. Their personalized shipment program allows members to customize each shipment and skip beers that you don't want to get. Get 50% off your first shipment when you sign up for an open-ended, ongoing membership at BeerMonthClub.com and use promo code DRINKRAREBEER. There's a two-shipment minimum. We're also sponsored by NZ Hops. In a little country far down in the Pacific, you'll find a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. This is NZ Hops. The industry originated in 1843, not long after the early settlers arrived from England. Years of partnership with a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations sees the current-day master growers proudly providing 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd. And this episode is also sponsored by Athletic Brewing. At Athletic Brewing Company, their innovative process allows them to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. From IPAs to stouts to gold nails and more, they offer a full selection of beers starting at only 50 calories. Now you can keep your head clear and enjoy the refreshing taste of beer anytime, anywhere. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. If you like this show, consider leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. I certainly appreciate it, and it helps other people find the show as well. Don't forget Steal This Beer every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast on the 15th of every month. Nate Schweber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed our logo. And remember to defend Pilsner. I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday. And that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>